So here's me, little baby Robert uh, in Belleville, Texas, born to parents Don and Shirley Crumry. Um, this next picture is uh, very recent, pretty recent, a couple of years ago. That's my mom and dad. Um, and I have one sister, her name's Karen, and uh, this is um, me and my little sister when I was a little baby, and uh, she was just born, and I uh, went to school in O'Brien Elementary School, but I um, um, loved fishing, and uh, so this is one of my massive catches here uh, as a small child. Um, and then in middle school, I uh, loved sports and played a lot of sports and played baseball. wasn't that great at baseball, but definitely played a lot of baseball. And, uh, and then in high school, uh, I'm actually, we actually moved to Somerville, Texas. And uh, this is my senior pick, which, man, it's beautiful, isn't it? Just nice pose there, the director's chair. Um, but this is, this is, you know, where I came from. And, and we all have our own kind of family of, of origin story as well. And it shapes us significantly um, to this day. Um, but Romans 5 doesn't talk about a particular biological nuclear family. It talks about the human family and where the human family came from and uh, some of the human family history, which is, is really helpful, I think, in understanding the gospel. And so uh, where did the human family come from? Well, if, if you have some familiarity with the Bible, you know the Bible teaches us the human family came from Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve uh, were born, well, actually, they weren't actually born. Uh, Adam was made from the dirt of the ground. Uh, Eve was made from Adam's side. Uh, they had no parents except for God, really himself. They had no siblings. Um, and they grew up, so to speak, in the garden of Eden, and then something happened, something uh, really bad, something that affected the them in uh, significant ways, negatively, but also something that it affected the entire future family line of Adam and Eve, and so this affected every human being, every race, every culture, and so this common origin story is something that we all share solidarity in. Uh, we share a solidarity of dignity. We all originate from these original image bearers uh, that were created by God. We also share a solidarity of depravity. Uh, we all come from these two parents who rejected not only God's rules, but God himself. And the Apostle Paul just goes pretty deep into the implications of this in Romans chapter 5 verses 12 and following. Um, we just heard read Romans 5 12 therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given but sin is not counted where there is no law. And so we, from the very beginning here, this, this introduction of the uh, first couple of verses, we find out that Adam has committed sin and that that sin is uh, resulted in death, not just Adam's death, but all of humanity's 
death, that his sin not only just broke a, a rule, it was more than a misdemeanor, it was actually treason against the God who created the universe. And because of this high crime, um, uh, the, the result was very serious. The result was death. And God had been very clear uh, to Adam and Eve that this would be the case. Uh, Genesis 2, 16 and 17 says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And that is exactly what happened. They uh, broke the the rule, the law of not eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil fruit, and the result was death. Now, what's death? Um, biblically, death is separation. So even physical death is a separation of our body and our, our soul. Uh, when we see a, a dead person, their body's still there, but they're not alive. Why not? Because their soul has separated from their body. Um, but the concept of death in the scriptures is more comprehensive. Uh, there's also the, the death in a relationship with yourself. <clears throat> there's a separation uh, between your, you and yourself. Um, and we see that when Adam and Eve experience guilt and shame in the garden and they attempt to cover themselves with fig leaves. There's death in our relationship with others. We see that when Adam blames Eve. Uh, for tempting him. Uh, there's death in our relationship with God. We see that when Adam and Eve hide from God, but also when God uh, throws Adam and Eve out of the garden. And so according to, to the truths of, of Christianity, all of these deaths or separations are due to sin. Later in Romans, uh, in chapter 6, verse 23, Paul will say the wages of sin is death. And that is not just for Adam, but for every other human being that um, follows Adam. Um, but does this one sin by Adam really affect all humans? Um, Paul's argument is, yes, it does. And his argument is in verse 14. He says, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Uh, he, he lets us know that, um, yes, Adam broke a law and the consequence was death, but then there's no law given by God until Moses. And so between Adam and Moses, there is no law, yet people are dying. Death is reigning. Um, and his conclusion is, is that the condemnation of death uh, is both individual and communal. It's individual, as in we're responsible for our sin, and we have consequences for that, but, but it's also communal, meaning that Adam's guilt was imputed to us. That when Adam sinned, we all sinned. In Adam, all sinned. That's sometimes called representation. And that guilt was imputed from Adam to us, oftentimes called imputation. Uh, as modern people, we do not like this. Uh, we see ourselves as very independent. Uh, we are autonomous. We uh, think we ex exist independently from external control. Um, we are similar to uh, the, uh, the, the poem 
that was written by William Ernest Henley, and this is the last uh, stanza of that poem. Uh, it matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. You might um, recognize that if you've ever seen the movie Invictus. It's, uh, it's in, in that movie. Um, this is absolute nonsense. Um, we are not the ultimate master of our fates. We are not the ultimate master of our souls. Um, there's so much that we have no say in. There's so much that's predetermined. Um, we have no say in where we were born or who our parents were or how we were educated in our early lives. We have no say in our level of intelligence or uh, our economic status when we're born or our physical stature or our race. Uh, all of it is predetermined. We, we have no say in these things. Now, this is not to say that choices don't matter. It doesn't, it's not to say that our choices don't affect outcomes. They, of course, do. But much about us, whether we Christians or not, we have to admit, has been predetermined. Uh, and what this scripture is saying that uh, more than being born into a nuclear family ha has predetermined some things about us, but being born into the human family. Uh, predetermined some things about us, that we've been born into sin. And the proof that Paul uses is that we all die. That the infection rate of sin among human beings must be 100%, because 100% of human beings are dying. Um, again, that, that sin and the condemnation for sin is both individual and communal. Now, why is the Apostle Paul going to such great lengths to prove this? I mean, he, he's, he's going into a very complicated, sophisticated argument to make sure that we uh, believe this. And I, and, I, and I think one of the things is to explain how he was able to say back in Romans 3 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, that's a bold statement. You know, and you could come back and ask Paul, well, have you been in every town, every country, every desert, every jungle? I mean, how do you know there's not some good people out there somewhere who are not in that category of sinning and falling short of the glory of God? And I think this is Paul's answer to that question. He's saying, I know that every human being has been imputed with the guilt of Adam, and they are officially considered sinners uh, on arrival. Um, but that's not really the main reason I think that he's, he's sharing this. Um, I think the main reason is because he wants to make a contrast between Adam and Jesus. This is the main reason. He even says it at the end of verse 14 that I just read. Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. There's the reason that he's sharing these, these truths about, about Adam. Uh, he is, is seeing Adam as a type or uh, that Adam prefigures or points forward to Jesus, that somehow Jesus is the true and better Adam. And he's mostly going to contrast Adam with Jesus. So he starts that very stark contrast in verse 15. He says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. 
For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So this is the first of three contrasts that I'm gonna point out. You can probably find some more, but I think these are the major contrasts. So the first contrast is between the free gift and the trespass, the free gift and the trespass. So on one hand, he's saying Adam and, and, and Jesus are similar because their one act affects many. So that's the way they're similar. One act affects many. Adam's sin affects many. Jesus's death on the cross affects many. Um, but then these acts are very different and the consequences are very different. So Adam and Jesus in that way are different. So the trespass of Adam is an instrument of death, which is judgment for sin. The trespass is an instrument of death, which is uh, a judgment for sin for the entire human race. The gift of Jesus, on the other hand, is an instrument of life that comes from free justification that's given to trespassers. So in the first, trespass leads to death. In the second, the gift leads to justification and life. Use this word trespass on purpose. Uh, I said this before, but a trespass is a breaking of a known law. It's not a slip up, it's not a mistake, it's not a oops, I, I didn't know any better. It is, I know the law and I break it willfully. It's his way of letting us know that Jesus' death is sufficient for every kind of human sin. Not just slip ups and mistakes, but willful disobedience, sinning. Jesus died for that type of sinning. But how do I? access this justification, this free gift? Um, is it by default like it is with Adam, right? Like I received this guilt basically by default. I, I didn't like ask for it. I didn't receive it intentionally. Uh, is it the same way with Jesus? No, it's not the same way with Jesus. He lets us know this in verse 17. He says, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You must receive a gift, right? Gifts must be received and they cannot be earned. Um, this life that we can get through Christ, um, it, it must be received. It, it's going to be accessed. Um, the average American right now is sitting on $167 of unused gift cards. Um, total, that's about $21 billion on those gift cards that are in your desk drawers right now. I can't believe it. $21 billion. Those, those, those gift cards are doing no good for you, right, unless you access them. And so similarly, this gift that, that, that Christ is offering, this free justification apart from the law, it does not benefit you unless you receive the gift. Uh, also, the gift cannot be earned. You, you receive it by faith. You do not receive it by doing something um, that, that is transactional. If you think that the relationship with God uh, is transactional, that you do something and then he does something, um, you don't get the gospel. You, you've sabotaged the gospel. It is a gift and you receive it by uh, faith. 
so that's contrast number one, the gift and um, the trash pile. Now, contrast number two is the reign of death and the reign of the Christian. So again, verse 17, I'll read it again. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So he contrasts the reign of death and the reign of the Christian, right? So he's saying that death, King death, is reigning through Adam. So what Adam did when he sent in the garden opened up the gate for death to come in and to reign. Now, what does it mean that death reigns? What, how is it that death is, is, is reigning? Well, everyone dies. Everyone dies. So that, that's a 100% reign that death uh, seems to have overall. Um, but this is in contrast to the Christian, right? Uh, he says, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. Um, he's, he's talking about the Christian. Instead of saying death reigns and life reigns, he says death reigns and the Christian reigns over death. Um, it's, it's an incredibly hope-filled uh, kind of declaration. As a Christian, we are reigning over death. Every Christian eventually wins over death every time, which is why we're reigning, right? Every Christian will reign over death. And how do they reign over death? Through Jesus, right? It's through what Christ did for us on the cross. As we receive that free justification apart from the law, we now are rulers and reigners over death. You can hear this in the Apostle Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 15, 52. Uh, he says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the same that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that passage. Paul is talking smack to death. He is reigning over death. He knows the day will come and he will reign over death. And so will we. Again, how do you become a one who reigns over death? You receive the free gift of justification that's given to us in Christ. So that's contrast number two, reign of death, reign of the Christian. We got one more contrast here, verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So 
Here we have third contrast, the obedience and the disobedience. So Adam's act of disobedience. He says it made human beings sinners. Now, what does that mean? Um, so <clears throat> one interpretation in uh, at one point in church history that was uh, being argued was, well, it must mean that Adam just passes on his bad example, that he's a sinner and then his children see him sin and they sin and then the next generation sins and on down, it goes on down the line. Um, a guy by the name of uh, Pelagius believed that around AD 400. And Pelagius taught that human beings are, you're generally, you, you know, you're good. You're inherently good, but then you see you know, others are doing bad and then you do bad too. And if you just tried really hard, you could stay good and you wouldn't actually even need Jesus. Um, that was absolutely condemned by the church. Um, and it was around the time of Augustine. Augustine was one of the ones that uh, wrote against this belief that Adam is just a mere bad example that we're all following. And so it's not that that belief is not even, even Christian. Um, but then the idea of Adam passing on a sinful nature, um, and, and then this eventually would lead to us sinning and then us being guilty of sin. So the idea that uh, Adam's guilt's not being transferred to us, but just his nature, his sinful nature, and then we end up sinning. That is inside uh, the, the understanding of, of Christianity. But I think it's even more than that. It is that we, we get a simple nature passed on, but it's even more. We actually are also being receiving the guilt uh, of uh, Adam. And this is known as original sin. Sometimes people think original sin is like the sin that Adam committed. Actually, it's the effects of sin that affect all human beings. And again, Paul's argument that that is true is this idea that people are dying between Adam and Moses when there is no law to break. Uh, they're still affected by the guilt and the consequences of the guilt of uh, Adam. And so the contrast is with that kind of disobedience and the results of that with the obedience of Jesus, who he says made many righteous. So Adam made many sinners, gave them the position of guilty sinners. Now Jesus is giving us the position of righteous people. Um, it made many righteous. Remember the idea of the pardon, where we're not just being rescued from the punishment we deserve, but our records are being expunged and we are being declared righteous, declared innocent and this is what the act of obedience that, that christ displays at the cross uh, gives us and so those that receive this gift of salvation uh, go from being people who have been made sinners in adam to be people who have been made righteous in jesus so i want to make a few comments just about this uh, these ideas in general i mean many don't like the idea that we're damned in Adam. We would like to think we are independently culpable only for our sins. Uh, and I would say that is very modern of you. Uh, the autonomous self is a very modern kind of concept. Um, although I think in recent days, we've been more apt to talk about how 
there are systemic things that affect people. And so this is just cosmically systemic <laughs> and has an effect on not just some human beings, but all uh, human beings. Um, in the ancient world, I don't think they would have had a problem with this passage. Uh, their, their worth, their identity, it was very tied up in their family, their clan, their tribe. Um, that's where they got their identity. They didn't get their identity from their autonomous uh, self. And if we believe in this both individual but also communal idea of condemnation under sin, it gives us a much dire picture of our predicament as sinners. And it actually shows us how much, how, how good the good news really is. So we both come to understand how bad the news is and how good the good news is. We'll, we'll talk more about that here in a minute. Um, another, I think, question that comes up is like, well, what about Eve? Why is it Eve? getting the blame for letting sin into the world. If she was the first one to take uh, the, the fruit, why not say Eve sinned and, and brought sin into the world? Or, or Adam and Eve sinned and brought sin into the world. Uh, something to note here, I think, is that Paul's not blaming the woman, okay? This, if, if, if there was ever a moment here where Paul could be chauvinist and say, it's the woman and Eve did it and it's her fault, this would be the place, but he doesn't do it. He does not throw Eve under the bus. Um, instead, he lays the responsibility squarely on Adam. And what we see in the garden really is a pattern of, of male leadership that's laid down in the created order. Adam is created first. Adam is given some kind of responsibility uh, to, 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 to have some sort of authority over the garden, over his wife. Uh, it is not the kind of authority that is him lording it over his wife, but instead uh, the kind of authority that takes initiative to look out for the best interest of his wife and lead on the mission that they have been given by God. When the trespass occurs, uh, God goes looking for Adam. And again, doesn't mean Eve's not responsible. He does talk to Eve about her sin, but he goes to Adam First, he seems to be following that pattern uh, of male leadership, and Paul seems to be following that pattern as well, as he writes in Romans 5. Now, why this even matters um, is that it, in this pattern, Adam typifies Jesus, right? We, we, we talked about that in, back in verse 17, that we are damned under one man, we are saved under one man, right? We are damned in Adam, we are saved in Jesus. We are damned in Adam who uh, gave up his authority, used it to shirk his responsibility, which caused havoc for those under his care. Yet Jesus takes his authority and uses it to take responsibility even for undeserving sinners like you and me. And in that way, we see the typology of Adam and Jesus. Now, it's not the main idea of the passage, um, but it is, it is part of how you understand the typology of the passage. So three things, I think, that are main takeaways uh, from the passage. One is that our need 
for being saved from sin's condemnation was greater than we realized. It is greater than we realize. Not only am I in need from saving from my own personal sinning, I'm in need of saving of communal guilt that was handed down to all of uh, humanity. It's one thing to know that I need saving from lung cancer that came from me smoking too much. It's another thing for me to say I need saving from genetically, you know, being genetically predisposed to cancer. This is how dire my situation is as a human being and how much in need I am of saving. Which gets me to my second point, that Jesus' saving of sinners is even better than we realize. Uh, Paul is like a gospel hype man in this passage here. Uh, Verse 15, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And then verse 20, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That Greek word where it says, where it's being translated, grace abounded all the more. It literally means super abounded. Um, That yes, this thing that happened through Adam, horrible thing, massive implications, but it doesn't even compare to the amazing salvation of grace that's been given to us in Christ. And then thirdly, that we've been saved out of one humanity and delivered into another humanity. We've been saved out of one humanity and delivered into another humanity. Paul is painting a picture of two humanities, those that were damned through through Adam and those who were saved out of Adam into Christ. Uh, This is no mere accepting Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. (laughs) This is I am being delivered into a new humanity. I've been, I've been reborn into a new family. I may have had this one origin story, but now I've been given a new family. I have a new uh, sort of origin story because I've been reborn. Um, this story of two humanities um, is of cosmic proportions. Uh, we see that new humanity in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 7. And uh, John gets this vision of the new humanity. And he says, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's a beautiful vision of that new humanity have have been saved through Christ, who are all at the throne of God, worshiping, and the Lamb is there at at the centerpiece. Um, This is is a cosmic proportion, and we're part of that. We're part of that. If we're Christians, we're part of that 
new humanity. But that story of a new humanity also informs our daily life as a Christian. So while on one hand it's massive, it's also very practical. It's also something that informs our daily life. Here's a couple couple of ways. Um, one is the way we think about our our biological family. For some of us, we come from uh, biological families that are very dysfunctional and destructive, and we feel very deter- sort of determined by that. And, and I want you to hear the hope that is in this passage, that, that, that you've been rescued out of the, the, the family line of Adam, and you've been delivered into this new family in Christ. And so while, yes, you've been influenced by your family of origin, you are not determined by your family of origin. The gospel and the power of the gospel changes you such that you now exhibit the characteristics of a new family that can only be found in Christ. Uh, it, It also speaks to those of us that emphasize our family of origin or our nuclear family too much. Uh, sometimes we are pretty proud of our family and, and we, we think pretty highly of our traditions or our acquisition of wealth or, you know, who we are, our namesake. And, and regardless of, of how awesome your family is or, or how dysfunctional your family is, all, all families are, unless by the grace of God, are, are in the, the, the line of Adam. And so the, the only family that ultimately matters is being in the family of God. to to be delivered out of the family line of Adam and into the family line uh, of of Christ. And so it's also a good reminder not not to to overemphasize a good family. Um, It it is certainly important to God, but it is not ultimate um, in the grand scheme of things. This idea of a new humanity on on the daily basis also, I think, informs our understanding of the church family. Um, we were not just saved as individuals, but we were saved to be in a community. Um, and so when we are connecting as a church, uh, we are expressing this truth that we are part of a new uh, humanity. And we get a little glimpse of that when we gather as a church. That's why we're gathering this morning. Um, we're part of the, the new humanity that is in uh, Christ. It's why it's important to link your life to a local church. Um, we mentioned it earlier. We're going to be doing a Meet Mercy House class next Saturday. Why does that matter? Why is that important? Because if you're a Christian, you're part of this new humanity, and you're called of God to express that in the here and now uh, by being a part of a local church family. It's extremely uh, important, and it's important for those of you who are who are part of a church family uh, to to actually engage with that church family. Um, so it's incredibly important that you're here this morning. It's incredibly important that if you're part of Mercy House, the, the membership of Mercy House, you'll be at the summit tonight. Um, the, these things, uh, they, they have a, a, a cosmic element to them where we come together as a church family, knowing that we are part of uh, an even greater uh, family in Christ. And so we share this, this great solidarity. As, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, not only the solidarity of, of being, of our dignity and being created by God, not only our solidarity of, of, of experiencing depravity, uh, our sinfulness uh, in Adam, but uh, a new destiny as, as righteous 
uh, people who've been made righteous by the grace of God. Uh, we now express that now and uh, forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, this amazing gift where we've not only been saved as individuals um, um, and, and our sins have been washed away, we've been justified apart from the law, but we've also been saved into a new humanity. And I, I'm just so grateful, God, that that, that is uh, so hope-filled, God, no, no matter what we've been through or what kind of family we've been a part of in the past, Lord, we are part of this uh, new transformed humanity that is true now, but true uh, forever. And uh, God, this is cause for great hope this morning. Uh, and thank you for the just the reminder in this passage and, and help us to grasp it uh, as we move forward in uh, our daily life this week. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.